As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it's the first MSP of 2019. Let's see if we remember how to actually do this. We got the Super Sons. We got tons of news word on the latest superhero television and the kickbutt poll of the week. Plus, we dig into Harrow County to see what things go bump in the country night. Our regular top-notch discussion, interaction, and maybe someone will get their face dipped in mayonnaise. We're not sure. So, roll out the barrel. Jump over the fireballs as you climb towards the monkey, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 811 of the Major Spoilers podcast. As Matthew said, the first podcast of the Major Spoilers show in 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to easily hit episode 850 this year, and we have a whole year of great content planned for you. Now, a lot of people over the last couple of years have really loved the fact that we have been looking at uh, trade paperbacks and a collection of trade paperbacks spread throughout the year. So we're going to be doing a lot of that in 2019 with a bunch of different series instead of just locking in on like uh, Lock and Key, for example, or um, uh, The Sixth Gun. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of those uh, throughout the year. And we're going to start this year off with Harrow County Volume 1. That's coming up later in the show. Uh, but first, welcome back, Matthew. Welcome back, Rodrigo. Thanks. Glad to have you guys here. And, and here's the uh, show. yeah, Ashley is out this week. Uh, she is at an audition. We'll have uh, more from her uh, this week on Finally Friday. If you've not uh, heard of Finally Friday, it is the live show that I do every Friday at four o'clock p.m. Central Time right there on the YouTube, youtube.com slash major spoilers and on Twitch, twitch.com slash major spoilers. Sorry, correction on the YouTube. YouTube uh, it's youtube.com slash major spoilers video and twitch.com slash major spoilers. Don't want to get you confused there. Uh, but that's uh, one of the many shows that we have, the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. How about we start this show off right with some news? Do, 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 do. Wait, did you just say that Finally Friday moved in the year 2019? No. It's oh. been, at, been at 4 o'clock for probably the last uh, four months, six months, something like that. Oh, wow. I was thinking 3.30. It used, used to be at 3.30. For many years, it was at 3.30. But then um, just because to speed things along and because I'm a busy person in the afternoon, trying to pick up my kid from uh, middle school because he gets out at three o'clock. It's very hard Got for it. me to get from the middle school to home by three 30. 
in time to do the show. So we moved it from 4 to 4.30. We reduce it to a half hour. Still a lot of fun. People pile into the chat, and there's a lot of good chats going on with some some very regular spoilerites. But back to the doot doots, doot doot doots. Uh, the CW officially orders a Batwoman pilot. The superheroes dominate the box office in 2018. And boy, there certainly was a Hellboy trailer. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Let's see where it lands. And around and around and around it goes until finally it lands on Ruby Rose. CW has ordered a Batwoman pilot. Now, Matthew, you and I talked all about the Batwoman Ruby Rose during her appearance in the Elseworlds event that took place between Supergirl, Green Arrow, and The Flash uh, this past fall. It was their series uh, season mid-season finale. And uh, I thought Ruby Rose was okay. And apparently everyone else thought uh, she was okay as well because CW says, hey, let's look at uh, developing a show around this hero Batwoman. I think it, it's definitely got potential. I mean, I, I did have my complaints. I was, I was not entirely thrilled with her intense face, but it wasn't terrible. And there are times when Ruby Rose had some issues with an American accent, but it was definitely something that I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see them go to not just pilot. I wanted to see them, you know, get a 10 issue run or a 10 episode run of it simply because it's not Batman. And I feel like there are a lot of things that you can do when you're finally able to make a story in Gotham city, playing with these toys and not have to be Batman. Yeah. That's, that's nice to say, except this was my biggest complaint of the Elseworlds uh, segment that took place in Gotham city, man, they sure made it as Batman as they could. (laughs) <laughs> by mentioning where's Bruce Wayne and Batman every five minutes and also having a major portion of it take place in Arkham where they showed the cell of like every major Batman villain ever, including Mark Guggenheim, the biggest <laughs> villain of them all. So it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is definitely something that could go a lot of different ways. I am, I am, I'm at the point where I'm really kind of, hopeful i'm 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 maybe even blindly naively hopeful simply because when they've said previous shows that the cw was going to put together my brain was like there's no way that's going to work when they launched arrow i was like this is this is i no, i don't want any part of this this is basically green batman and arrow has turned into something that i don't watch but i at least appreciate yeah. And when they when they said they were going to launch Flash, I'm like, can they do Flash weekly? Can they I mean, and they did. When they said we're going to do Supergirl, I'm like, oh, this is this is where they crash. There's no way they can make Supergirl work. And Supergirl is wonderful. Supergirl is really really good TV. And although to be fair, it did kind of crash. It did. It crashed and then it kind of it picked itself back up and it walked away from the crash because it's invulnerable. Right. And then they said, all right, we're going to do Legends of Tomorrow. We're going to do a superhero team show traveling in time with a group that makes zero sense. No sense whatsoever. It's going to be Captain Cold and Firestorm and Super Turtle and uh, the kangaroo that Wonder Woman used to ride. And then the Monitor's third cousin, Eddie. And I'm like, OK, this is where it has to crash. And no, it, 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 no, it didn't. So when you say to me, the CW and these production people are going to put together a show, I'm like, I'm just here to see when they finally do crash. I think what's going to happen is they're finally, when they finally get to the point where DC is like, we're going to give you one of our beloved top tier guys. We're going to give you somebody straight out of like the Superman, Batman 
Wonder Woman trilogy, that's where they're going to fall short because they're not going to know what to do. Uh, Rodrigo, do you have thoughts on this on this Batwoman? Did you happen to see Ruby Rose doing her Batwoman uh, thing in the uh, in the uh, what was it, the Flash episode? She's yeah, Batwoman. No, I I haven't seen it, um, but definitely I am good with the idea of her getting a pilot and potentially a series. Because, yeah, because that is where you see things start to deviate. I've watched some episodes of Arrow, some episodes of Flash, some episodes of Supergirl. And although they didn't quite grab me to the point to watch regularly, I can appreciate what's going on in all of those series. Mm -hmm. And a big part of what is what is good about them is that they aren't those big three, you know. So, yeah, I think there is room. There's a lot of room for Batwoman to grow, not just into maybe what it is in the comics, which is different from Batman, but into something else entirely that is different from Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, And they might even get there by trying to make it as Batman-like as possible, but just having a woman, just having this actress, having a different writing team, even even by trying to make it all um, Mm Batman-y, it might actually morph into something else that works in a different way. And I, I, that's kind of what I'm hoping for with this. I think the writing was kind of on the wall that something bigger beyond just an appearance in the TV show was going to happen when they, when they really made a big deal over getting Ruby Rose to play Batwoman. They could have just got any generic person to come in to play Batwoman for this one episode. Uh, But they made a big deal of getting Ruby Rose from orange is the new black and John wick. And, and uh, She she was in the Meg. Yeah, yeah, she was also in the mix right at, at the same time. And so, you know, when you bring in somebody like that, it kind of felt like, oh, yeah, this is going to go somewhere. And now it looks like we're going to get a pilot and hopefully in the next couple of weeks or months or whatever. I don't think we're going to see this hit in the fall of uh, next year. I don't think that we'll have anything done in time for that. Uh, but I think we may be looking at a spring release. Uh, does uh, Legends of Tomorrow still do a half season, Matthew? I'm not sure what they're doing this year because Legends is airing at the same time as Supergirl and Black Lightning. Mm-hmm. So they're the part of the thing that they did last season was we're only going to air four superhero shows at a time, and that's clearly gone by the wayside because they're doing at least five. Depending on how you count Riverdale, they may be doing more. Well, at least from the DC Universe perspective, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I didn't know if they, if legends were still, was still a half season or if they were doing a full season of that. Cause it, in the past legends, uh, bounced back and forth between legends of legends tomorrow and I zombie episodes. This okay. Season. So then it would be I zombie. So, you know, maybe we will see something like that next season. Maybe there's another show that might be cut back to 13 episodes, which may be a reason to have, uh, a, a world's finest type show going on there. Um, or that my super girl, I, I don't know. Uh, one thing that we will not that hasn't been announced, but it's kind of one of those things that you can kind of know ahead of time is that Flash and Green Arrow are definitely coming back for another yeah. season. That's kind of almost another five a, or six a guarantee. Uh, definitely for the Flash, another five or six. We'll see if Arrow has another five in it. Um, but we haven't heard anything from Supergirl. We really haven't heard anything about any of the CW shows. That won't happen for another couple of months. Um yeah. But when we hear about this pilot, I think that's uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm just hoping that we will see a Legion of Superheroes very soon. Listeners, if you would like to hear Matthew and I talk more about The Flash and The CW Show, then you can head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers, where Matthew and I sit down and we talk about every episode of The Flash 
Yeah. We go into depth. We give you some behind the scenes stuff. We have we give you our hot take on the mm-hmm. on the villains of the week and the Batwomans and the Elseworlds yep. and the crises that are going to happen in, in the near future. Steven's numerology and my yep. intense man crush on John Wesley Shipp in yep. all of his incarnations. Yep, you can find that at patreon.com slash major spoilers. You can also find our take on the superhero movies of 2018 and that Hellboy trailer as a, what is it, uh, a lead-in to the Major Spoilers podcast. It's the Major Spoilers pre-show, also available to our patrons at the $5 and up level, only can be found at patreon.com slash major spoilers. News out of the way. Let us jump into some reviews. reviews. Now, Rodrigo, I am very interested in this movie, Gris, or not a movie, video game, Gris. Right. I have seen so many people talk about it f- from so many different perspectives, and I'm so tempted mm-hmm. to buy this for the Switch or uh, on the um, console, uh, Windows, mm-hmm. Macintosh kind of thing. Tell me, what is Gris, and is it worth checking out? Uh, so, uh Gris, which I think it's pronounced Greece. Okay. So with a long, or the, the long, long E, yeah. uh, because it's uh, it's from a Spanish um, studio. So I'm, I'm guessing it's supposed that to be That is probably gri- correct. Greece yeah. as in gray. Okay. Um, oh, because it's, so, color. it's, it's all about color. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's okay. right. Okay. Well, my mistake then. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's cool. Because you don't know, it's just one word, right? right? Like, who knows what this is? That's literally what we call my aunt Griselda. Greece. Yep. Cool. Um, so, um, yeah, if you've seen either stills or video of this game, you've probably seen something where you're like, how do I even play this? This looks like a like an indie animation, right? And um, it actually feels like playing an indie animation a lot of the time. So the way that uh, Grease actually plays is uh, you're this little character. She's like a little like lady sprite fairy type person. Um, and you are traveling through this world that has been uh, racked by a great darkness, and um, you are essentially um, traveling through these levels, solving kind of physical puzzles, um, not in the sense that it's like, oh, this piece goes here, this piece goes there. It's rather like you walk into a chamber and you see that the thing you want to get is on a ledge. And it's a ledge that you can't jump to. So you have to be like, okay, well, I have to go a different direction to enter this chamber from a different direction so that I can get to that ledge, right? It's kind of that in, like, various ways. Um, And then as the game progresses, you basically get new abilities. Um, But uh, the gameplay of it is probably not what's going to get the majority of people to play this game it's actually how it looks and it does look amazing the color or or the lines look like they've been hand drawn even when your character's moving around the color all of the color looks like it's um watercolor on like textured paper um there are 
uh, moments when things are revealed and those uh, kind of happen as though they were being uh, drawn on a page or painted onto a page. Um, and then all of the actual animation for cutscenes and stuff is like incredibly slick. It just looks really, really good. And that is honestly the main reason and the real reason to get this game is because it looks so good. Um, the gameplay of it, there are no enemies to fight. There's no chasms to fall down. I mean, there are, but you won't die if you fall down some place. That just means that you have to, that either you discovered a chasm that you can now explore or that you have in some form have to get back up to where you were. But you don't, there are no lives, there's no health bars, um, nothing comes at you except when it does and it's really scary. Um, but, you know, there aren't like little enemies hopping around the level preventing you from getting onto platforms. Um, Although there are lots of platforms. Um, there's lots lots of good stuff going on. Um, when you first start the game, you can jump. Or actually, you can't even jump, but eventually you become able to jump. But the first thing that you can do is like this weird sigh. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. They have a button just for a sigh. But then later on, they bring that back and that button becomes something else that makes a lot of sense for what it was. Um 100% of the story in this game is told silently. There's no, really not much in the way of words um, other than, you know, the rare reminder that, you know, when you press A, your character jumps. Um, and even those are pretty sparse. Um, there's also lots to explore, I guess, because I got to the end of the game and I checked my, like, achievement sheet and it's like, maybe a third of the way done. And I'm like, I guess wow. I can just go back and replay this game and get the rest of these achievements. Um, so there is some replay value there. Um, in the end, like Greece delivers exactly what I hoped for, which is a game experience that looks really good with the additional bonus of it's actually very relaxing because there's no time limits, no enemies, nothing like that. So you can take every chamber that you walk into at your own pace. Um, that is also kind of a drawback of it in that this is a game with, although you see the character and her plight and everything, it has no urgency. So at no point that I feel that I was like, oh, I need to get to the next right. thing. Like, Anytime that I was like, I'm feeling a little bored with this. I'm like, I'm going to go play Smash Brothers. Like, I never felt <laughs> that I just had to continue and see the next thing because it feels like flipping through a book or it, playing Gris is actually kind of like watching someone else draw. It's like, imagine an artist that you really like and you're just watching them draw and draw and draw and draw. Then they get to that. They are done with that drawing. You're like, that drawing was amazing. And watching this person draw was amazing. And then they get to the next page and they're drawing and you're like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. And then after a couple of those, you're like, well, now I kind of want to go draw or I want to go do something else or like watching someone else do this isn't as fun. You know, so there's kind of these moments, these kind of like down moments in the game where I was like, yeah, I'm going to put this aside and go do something else just because it is so calm and, you know, not urgent and and because you know maybe because the game itself is so forgiving and at no point does it really like urge you to move forward 
other than by the fact that all of the levels are created in this very organic, like smart way that always gives you a direction to go. But once you get to a chamber and you beat it, you're like, well, I can wait to go down this hallway. So altogether, I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf. I do recommend that like it really seriously, this game is worth it for how it looks. Just playing through the experience of watching this game happen is good enough. But on top of it, you get some platforming challenges. You get some like mild puzzles and, um, you know, uh, some some like interesting uh, gameplay to go along with and some exploration stuff to go along with really the main draw, which is the game's look, the game's sound design, basically the things that you are like consuming with your eyeballs rather than the actual gameplay of it. What was that game? It's a couple of years ago where it was kind of like you're in Escher paintings, but you had these weird like totems um, floating around. It was not a, a switch game or a platformer game. It was like a mobile game. Oh, um, I am Monument Valley. Monument Valley. Is this like that? It, it kind of is like that. It's that it's like it in the way that like it's an indie game, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, it's taking a visual approach to storytelling in a similar way. Like if you've played Monument Valley, there are moments where you move something around and it is like an Escher painting, right? Where mm-hmm. um, you there's these, there's a staircase and you move the staircase and it still shouldn't make sense, but it literally makes contact with another platform, which means even though it doesn't look like you should, your character can move through it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some moments like this in this game okay. where you see something happening visually And you're like, after a while, you're like, oh, my character shouldn't be able to do this, but they just can because visually speaking, that's possible. There's a lot of stuff in this game where it's like, here's a column. You can't walk past this column. And there's a lot of stuff in this game where it's like, here's a column. You can walk right past this column. And just by your character's interaction, you're like, oh, this column is like in the background or this column is like in front of them, mm. but isn't blocking the main path. Um, so a lot of the time through your character passing through places, it kind of gives you that 3d sense of where everything stands. Um, but uh, other than that, it's, I wouldn't say it's that similar other than it's kind of has this like um, very uh, soft, like ongoing story that you're kind of discovering as you solve these puzzles. But okay. other than that, the gameplay is not very similar. Okay. All right. Uh, Matthew, out Hello. this week from uh, DC Comics, we have something quite unexpected with the unexpected number eight. Right. Or maybe of it's totally eight. expected. It's totally expected. It's actually the end of the unexpected, which sadly is not unexpected. Uh, the unexpected is one of the new age of DC heroes books. And if you haven't heard anything about it, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I can't remember there being any big advertising or push behind it. Uh, but the unexpected started out being sort of a, it was, it was one of those moments where you were supposed to get to the end of that first issue and be like, oh my God, because they gave us this cool team of five people, right? And at the end of issue one, guess how many of them were dead? All of them. All but one. 
And then a new character showed up. And, of course, the new character and that surviving character and another guy teamed up. And, of course, Hawkman showed up. So now Hawkman is part of the unexpected. And this issue, the final issue, features the return of Mandrak, the vampire monitor from beyond the void from Final Crisis. You remember Mandrak, right? Oh, yes. I remember Mandrake the magician. No, Mandrak the monitor. He's uh, sort of a vampire. Is he is he Dexter's arch rival? Yes, he's Dexter's arch rival, as voiced by the guy from Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, we'll go with that because most of this issue features Mandrak beating up Hawkman. So hey, right there, it's a plus. And uh, Neon the Unknown, the leader of the Unexpected, great name that has never had a character that really lived up to that name and stuck. And probably still won't, because again, this is the last issue of The Unexpected. But uh, Neon the Unknown is dead, and so is the main villain, uh, who is not Mandrak, but is in fact a character called the Bad Samaritan. And it's a really interesting story, because we find out that Mandrak is after the power that they have, that the main villain and the main hero were actually created at the same time by the same effect. And for years, they've been trying to destroy each other. And what Neon discovers in this issue is that What he really should have been doing was trying to help the villain all along. Now, you may think to yourself, wow, that's kind of a kind of a trite thought. It's kind of a weird expectation. But in this story, it really kind of works. Steve Orlando's story pulls it off where Neon finally realizes that he shouldn't have been being terrible to this guy and trying to kill him. And together they come back from the dead and destroy the evil monitor by, get this, reversing polarities. What? So just, it's a th- just cross the streams. It's a third doctor reference, ladies and gentlemen. And I feel like it kind of also closes the box on the dark multiverse stuff because part of this t- story takes place in the dark multiverse. And at the end of the story, Hawkman, who was one of the big players in that whole dark nights, uh, you can't kill the metal. The metal will live on comes to the realization that there's nothing in the dark universe that is as terrifying as he thought he stood up to the dark universe and it did not eat him. And the last two pages of this book feel like a really nice coda and really nice close to everything that we've seen in the previous eight issues. It's Hawkman's journal, the journal of Carter Hall today. (laughs) I had pie. Then I hung out in front of the drugstore. And it tells us what happens to the characters, what happens to Neon, what happens to the new firebrand, what happens to the Bad Samaritan. And I like it. If you have to end a book like this, if you have to have something get canceled, I prefer this sort of, we're going to tie up the loose ends and imply that they're still out there. They did this 25 years ago with a book called uh, Young Heroes in Love. They were never heard from again. But in my heart, I know that the young heroes are out there somewhere doing something. We just don't hear about them. If you've seen the uh, Young Justice animated series, uh, many Mm -hmm. of them appear in that show. Are you sure? Yep. Hard Drive and Thunderhead and Bonfire and Monster Girl, those guys? Some of them do, sure. I don't know. I may have to go watch Young Justice. Um, But the last issue of The Unexpected is really well done as far as last issues go. It's it's put together well. I feel like it's written well. It doesn't feel like a big letdown of and the book was canceled in midstream. So I'm sure that they had, you know, the end of this arc planned and they're like, okay, 
let's do what we can do here to kind of put a hat on it, close it off and have it be essentially an eight issue series. And we'll pretend that it was supposed to be that way. I am not as thrilled with the art of uh, Ronan Cliquet as I was with uh, other artists in the new age of DC heroes books, but it works in a very strange way. And it feels like it's more, I don't know, more synthesized with the art because one of the big deals about the new age books was that they were going to be doing them quote unquote Marvel style where they were going to have a plot. They were going to draw to the plot and then the writer and the artist are going to come back together and work out the dialogue and everything based on that loose plot and what they put together in the issue. This feels like it's a lot more thought out. It feels like it's a lot more intentional rather than some of the issues we've seen in the new age books, which kind of, I don't want to say like, it's just a series of things that happened, but it's like a five-year-old telling you about their day. We went to the mall and then I went to Burger King and I had some cheese. This is not that this is very solid. I'm going to go three and a half slices of meatloaf. I'm sad that the unexpected is ending because there's a lot of great concepts and a couple of really great names in here. And I hope, that somehow Neon the Unknown pops up again somewhere, throw him on the Justice League. There's like 50,000 members of the Justice League. But, you know, you can't have everything. Where would you keep it? So if you only get eight issues of The Unexpected, at least it went out on a strong note. There you go. Also out this week from DC Comics, The Adventures of the Super Sons, number six, the space adventures of our favorite superhero son and Damian Wayne continues <laughs> this week. <laughs> Although I must say that I love the intro page where Robin is, or um, I'm sorry, Damian Wayne is monologuing Robin, Damian Wayne, same person, where they're monologuing and it is just classic like purple prose noir kind of stuff. But uh, they are definitely on a, a, a different planet and they're trying to survive and they're trying to figure out a way to get off, uh, get off the planet. And uh, Matthew, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but what was your 10, what was your 10 things today? 10 super monkeys uh, or 10 super pets or something? It was 10 ordinary pets of superhumans. Okay, so uh, one of them, I think it was your number three, was mm-hmm. the Hucka. The Hucka from Atari Force. So what's funny is they are on a planet where there are Hucka all around, or at least they meet one Hucka who's stealing uh, Damien's uh, alien fruit that he was about to eat, and they have Wait, to go rescue him. Hucka? He does. Okay. And he looks exactly like the Hucka. That's why I said, hey, spoiler alert for this week's Ad- Adventures of the Super Sons number six. They fight off a big giant monster to save the little Hucka. But then they run into Rex Luthor. Yep, Rex Luthor, the, the, the junior version of uh, <laughs> Lex Luthor. Uh, who tells you what his big plans are with the mysterious uh, machine, the mystery machine. And we do get a character who I don't know if he's been in the DC universe since the 1960s. But Tommy Tomorrow shows up. Wow. Yeah. Tommy Tomorrow of the Planeteers shows up, grabs all the kids, including Joker Jr., throws them in a spaceship and takes them off to a prison planet. We're the Planeteers. You can be one, too. There is not a lot that goes on in this issue. There's a few cute moments as you see Damien kind of softening up from being his his uh, stick up the butt kind of character. Uh, you get to see Jonathan continue to be Jonathan and this super-powered hero kid. But then you get this weird thing of, like, why is there an Atari Force thing in this comic? And why is Tommy Tomorrow in this comic? 
And it's like, I think I may need to go back and read the first five issues of Adventures of the Super Sons, because there might even be more of this stuff going on. And uh, so at the end of the day, the art is very fine. The writing is, is fine. This is a middle issue, I, I think, of a 12-issue arc. This is a pretty good comic. I enjoyed this a lot. And if you want to just kind of get a little one-off, one I mean, you don't need to know how they ended up in space. I mean, if that's important to you, sure, go back and read the previous five issues. But just know that they're on an alien planet and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And you've got Rex Luthor and Joker Jr. running around. And then two unexpected characters from DC's past suddenly make an appearance and uh, propel our characters into the next chapter, which will be coming out. I don't know if it's two weeks or one month, but certainly in Adventures of the Super Sons number seven. I enjoyed this comic. I thought it was really cute. I thought it was really fun. I thought the art was really neat. I'm giving this four slices of meatloaf out of five. Adventures of the Super Sons number six out this week from DC Comics. Matthew, what do you know about the old uh, Tommy Tomorrow? Tommy Tomorrow? Well, it depends on who you're asking. Pre-Crisis, Tommy Tomorrow was set in the long-ago future of the DC Universe. Yeah, it did. Did you know that post-Crisis, he was actually Commandy? Oh, I didn't know that he was Commandy. Yeah, actually, he was not. He was Commandy as the bunker. Tommy Tomorrow was, in fact, the same character as Commandy. I want to say he started back in the Golden Age? Yeah, he was a Golden mark? Age character. Yeah, from like 47 or 48. And he started out basically as your uh, your... Jack yeah, Armstrong flash, kind of flash Gordon, space cadet guy. Yeah, yeah, it came out in 1947. Real yep. fact comics. Real he was fact in real comics. fact comics? Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Number six. But yeah, he hung out with the Planeteers before mm -hmm. Captain Planet. Um, mm -hmm. And Hart is an excellent power. Thank you very much. My favorite Tommy Tomorrow story is actually Twilight. Do you ever read that mess? Howard Chaykin's uh, take seem, on all the future heroes? I seem to remember that. Doesn't stand yeah. out in my... In my uh, in my mind, but I do know. Well, it, it, it wasn't great, but <laughs> Tommy tomorrow and the star rovers and star Hawkins and Manhunter 2070 and all of those future stories, they basically put them all together in a big kind of shared universe. It was mm -hmm. sort of like crisis on infinite flash Gordon knockoffs. Yeah. And it was a three issue square bound prestige book. It was pretty solid. I, I mean, I liked it. It wasn't great. Certainly, since, you know, nobody remembers it, it probably wasn't super memorable, but yeah, no, cool. I just thought it was neat. I was like, wow, where's this guy coming from? And he really hates Earthlings. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the boys get to the prison planet next week. He also came from the far flung future year 1990. There you go. There oh. you go, ladies and gentlemen. You can find these reviews and a whole lot more over at Majorspoilers.com. What are you waiting for? Get over there. And uh, maybe you can even take part in this week's Major Spoilers. Poll of the week. Week, 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 week. So here's a question for you guys. Okay. You're getting late Christmas gifts. I am? You're getting eight action figures from the Avengers movie. You're getting Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, and Loki. Those are the figures that you're going to get as this belated Christmas gift. All of those action figures. Of those action so, figures, which one do you want to be the grand finale figure? And and what I mean by that is, when I was a kid, I got all the Star Wars, the original 13 Star Wars action figures. Mm -hmm. Some of them mm -hmm. were stocking stuffers, like Princess Leia and the Stormtroopers and the Jawas and the droids. Those were all stocking stuffers. Then, packaged up, were Luke and Han and Chewbacca. Yeah. And then Obi-Wan was with the Lightspeeder. 
under the Christmas tree. Right. Or sorry, the land speeder, not the light speeder. The land speeder. And then the the coup de Gracie. The coup de Gracie. <laughs> was the was the Darth Vader inside of the TIE fighter. Oh. Next to the fireplace. So of those eight Avengers action figures that I listed, mm. which would be the grand finale? Which would be the one that you would want to get last so that you were like, ah, yes, this, ah, and go crazy over? Matthew, you want to start for us? Sure. Um, as much as I want to say Black Widow, and I do love Black Widow, I would really enjoy a Black Widow figure. I think that the honest answer for me and this is weird, especially if you you know read my reviews around uh, the original Civil War at Major Spoilers ten years ago. I'm going to go with Iron Man because Iron Man is really my my big fave character in terms of the original Avengers. He's the one that I feel like has the most potential and is the most versatile in terms of what he does and doesn't do. Plus, there are some great Iron Man armors out there. Ideally, it would be an Iron Man Silver Centurion armor. Yeah, but, that, did, that wasn't in the Avengers movie, so... I didn't say that it was, but they didn't make an eight-pack of action figures from the Avengers movie, so I can pretend. Okay. Plus, I, you know, I do have a Silver Centurion literally hanging off of my computer right yeah. now. Is that the one that I bought yeah. you? Yeah, actually right. it does. Uh, for me, knowing how Marvel packages their toys, I would think the Hulk would be one of the build-a-figure build things. We have, the the yeah, build a Hulk. We, we have to get all of the other, yeah, the Build-A-Bear Hulk. We have to get all of the, you have to get all of the other figures and each of them comes like, here's the Hulk leg, here's the Hulk torso, here's the Hulk arm, here's the Hulk head. I So for me, I think the Hulk would be that last bit, right? Where it'd be like, ooh, an Iron Man. Oh, and a Hulk leg. Oh, here's a Thor. Oh, the other Hulk leg. Oh, here's Captain America. Ah, oh, it's the torso. Here's Black Widow. Oh, a left arm. Hawkeye, a right arm. Here's Nick Fury with the head. And then here's the, the Hulk with, or here's Loki with the Hulk pants or something. With and the Hulk's you, junk. And then you put it all <laughs> together and you get a big giant Hulk that's twice as tall as the other action figures. For me, that would be the grand finale action figure. Rodrigo, what about you? What would be your grand finale action figure out of this set? Uh, I guess for me, it would be like, um, it would probably be Loki. Um, just because I would expect to um, get a bunch of like six inch action figures. And you're like opening them. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's Iron Man. And you open another one. It's, oh, it's Thor. And then there's like a box that's like way bigger than everybody else. And then you're like, Finally, you're like, okay, well, I got all of them. No bad guys. That's okay. And you open the last one, and it's like a Barbie doll size, like female lo Loki. <laughs> okay, nice. With some big curly horns that are yeah, twice as tall as yeah. the figure. Yeah, and like, and uh, uh, you know, a green cloak that you can swap out for something else if you want. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, you know, because that's what that's kind of Loki's thing. It's like he's surprising at the end, and. Uh, you thought that he wasn't around, but he was, yeah. or she Some, was in this case. Sometimes she's a beautiful girl. And know. sometimes she's a, she's a beautiful lady. And uh, also it makes sense. You know, it's like, oh, well, Loki doesn't fit in with anybody else. And technically she's a giant. There you go. True. Makes sense. Matthew, nice. how did everyone else vote? The holidays kind of got everyone down. That's why I extended this uh, poll of the yeah. week for a couple of weeks here. Well, you know, people get sick. Uh, unexpected. Well, 
maybe not unexpected. Less expected than I expected to be expected. Captain America in the lead with 22% mm. of the vote, followed closely by the Hulk at 20. That right there is half of our votes. Uh, close right up behind, you got your Nick Fury, uh, which is interesting to me because that's basically a Samuel L. Jackson toy. Yeah. Which means if you have some steel wool, you can make your own Jules Winfield action figure. And then you'll be like, yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, Iron Man at 11%, Thor at 9%, Black Widow and Hawkeye kind of bringing up the rear at 7 and 8 Loki right in there at 9% of the vote. Uh, we did not get the Death Squad commander, so that's fine. No, no. I did the not Death get the I did not get the Death Squad of of the 13 original action figures. I did not get the uh, the Death Star commander. Now, did you get Death Star droid? No, no, that was not part of the original 13. Oh, because those are the ones that I got. I got Death Star droid and R5D4, hmm. but I never had a C3PO or an R2D2, so I just pretended that they were them. <laughs> My C3PO, yeah. his legs went out of whack really quick. To where I had to get a rubber band to strap around his waist so his legs wouldn't constantly they were super loose. So yeah, in order to get him to stand. Plastic. Yeah, that's that's the problem with it. It was the hard plastic, but yeah. And then uh, R2D2 got wet and his uh his computer parts all uh washed off. Yeah, so he was just a white R2D2 with a uh with a robot robot head. I never had an R2D2, but I did have a Millennium Falcon. So Yeah, I never got you know. that. I was kind of jealous. Yeah. All my friends had. I never got the big, big toys. Like, it's really weird. It's like, I got that first round of Star Wars toys, and then mm-hmm. nothing after that. I got a Yoda and a um, uh, Lando Calrissian, because I used my own money to buy those a couple of years later, but never got an X-Wing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here I had a, a TIE Fighter and a and a, a Land Speeder. The Land Speeder could fly, and everybody could fit on it so that they could right. have battles with one another. Well, there were actually pegs on it where you could stand the fixtures on the back yeah, and they'd be yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, we totally have air and space. Never got a, um, never got a Jabba's Palace, never got a Millennium Falcon. So I that's okay. I never got an AT-AT. One of my, one of my, uh, friend's friends had an AT-AT and we'd go over to his house. He also had the little, uh, uh, what's the two-legged walker? Oh, the ATST. Yeah, yeah. The AT-AT was actually fascinating because it came to me at a time when I was totally into G.I. Joe's, yeah. which were roughly the same scale. Yeah. So the AT-AT three was, three actually a, yeah, it was actually a traveling headquarters for uh, the members of G.I. Joe for oh, a while. and not Cobra Commander's uh, I, headquarters. No, Cobra Commander was evil. Yeah. Snake Eyes was driving the AT-AT, my friend. Snake Eyes and Stalker. I have a theory about uh, Cobra Commander. And, um, (laughs) Matthew and I had a long discussion about this. We did. We did. Was this on Dueling Review? Yeah, it was either Dueling Review or, well, what shows did we do while we were out? We did Dueling Review. I want to say it was in the middle of a Dueling Review because that's the place where we Oh, no, no, it was a Legion Clubhouse episode. Oh. With the introduction of the- Legion Clubhouse in six weeks. The Dark Circle? Uh, yeah, Dark Circle in a couple of weeks coming up on the Legion Clubhouse. Legion Clubhouse, of course, is where Matthew and I sit around and we talk about the history of the Legion of Superheroes through the lens of today. So we're going back and reading all of their appearances in order yeah. and talking about them and looking at the parallels to things that were going on in society at the time, some very uncomfortable things that happen, and also the secret origin of Cobra Commander right there yeah. in the pages of the Legion Clubhouse. You can find out more at Majorspoilers.com. We're right at the point where all of the early creators are starting to die, and it's really bringing me yeah, down. Yeah, it's really sad. Hey, speaking it of uh, creepy death. 
Let's, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Harrow County, Volume 1. The Is countless Harrow? I don't know. Harrow, Harrow. It's the Countless Haints. 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 It's hainted. It's Harrow a, County is it's hainted. One of the, so I didn't. I knew nothing about this series before getting into it, except everyone was talking about it, and I saw that it was Cullen Bunn, and we had just finished not too long ago the entire six-run series, and I'm a big fan of Cullen Bunn and his crazy writing uh, schedule. I don't know if any of you have read Harrow County or Harrow County before, but this is some creepy stuff. I didn't know that it took place during a depression era time period. Takes place in the South. And it's the story about uh, the wicked witch coming back and uh, potentially causing havoc all across the, uh, the County. Once again, it is much like the six gun. It's this weird mix of like really charming and also terrible. And in my head, Cullen Bunn and Kieran Gillen kind of meld together. So I'm reading this and I'm like, wow, that English guy really does a great sort of, you know, rural American story. Cause this feels like all the crappy towns where I grew oh, up. Yeah. No, no, there's definitely a, uh, I'm sure even Rodrigo has a hint of, Oh yeah, I've been to this place. Right. Oh yeah. Um, there is like that's actually what's really interesting about uh bun's uh writing is that it's so american Mm -hmm. right there's like you you know it's like uh, there's a lot of stuff out there where the americanness of it doesn't really interact directly right it's like you reach you read wanted and it's like yeah this is american in a sense that it's like mad at you for being here <laughs> it's like it's mad it's like this book is mad that we're both here like nobody wants to be here yeah. why are you reading that that's the right. americanness of it here in uh you know harrow county and definitely in six gun there's this like textural americanness of to it mm-hmm. where it's like this all this couldn't act like this couldn't take place anywhere else right this yeah. is kind of like the mythology of it the cadence of it the look of it it all has to take place at the very least in north america and almost certainly in the united states yeah and this yeah. one is definitely in the south yeah uh, because yeah. of the language it's... and the words that are used i mean kind of think of uh, oh brother where art thou but mm-hmm. with a horror bent and in this case this starts in the early uh, years of the 1900s where the town folk are burning a witch uh hanging her stabbing her shooting her and burning her because yeah. uh she's 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 no good she's bad and then we flash to some point in the future where our 17-year-old uh, heroine is just about to turn 18, and suddenly the crops are going bad, the cows are being born with six legs, boil and pox on the community, and the uh, community's like, hey, uh, are we sure she's not the witch come back to get us? Oh, they're sure. They're 100% sure, we find yeah. out. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's... I some of the imagery in here is truly disturbing and not like not like Stephen King horror disturbing, but just disturbing on a visceral level. There's yeah. a, a sequence with uh, a tree, the tree from which they actually hanged Esther the witch. And the, the tree itself has a, a lightning scorch or a, a lightning blast mark in it that just looks incredibly yonic and super disturbing and sometimes has teeth and glows red and, you know, is 
Ah, fa. And, and, I do not and, like the creepy tree, my friend. And as we find out, is the birthplace of Emmy. Yep. They actually, the town folk went up years later because there's this big boil or this big, uh, what's it called, a, a burl starting to appear on the side of the tree. And they're like, we got to take care of this. And they hack it open. And inside is, is Emmy and something yep. else. And uh, they all think that uh-huh. she's a witch. And we find out more about Emmy. And we find out the fact that she may be this uh, Hester the witch come back come back reincarnated in some way, shape, or form. Yep. But the part that I, f- I thought was going to creep you out the most, Matthew, and uh-huh. maybe you too, Rodrigo, but mostly Matthew, was the fact that there's this little boy that runs around and can uh-huh. take his skin off. Yes. And his skin can talk or at least communicate separate of his uh, flesh and viscera. That is not so horrifying to me because of the way it ends up. The first time it's presented, we're like, here's this skin hanging from a tree. And she takes it and she folds it up. And she makes the point of saying she folds it up like clean laundry. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, that takes a lot of the menace out of it. He's just a towel. Until it starts creeping around. and Right. Climbing out of her drawer and wandering around the house and doing, I've come to eat your liver. Actually, no. It, it turns out, Rodrigo, that this is a protector for her. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, pretty helpful skin. Were you pretty freaked out by anything in this? I mean, the imagery by Tyler Cook is definitely, oh, boy, it takes some getting used to because there's some scary stuff going on in here. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very creepy. Uh, probably the... Um, the the part that got me like actually gave me the heebie-jeebies is there's a character who um is like uh like a protect not not a protector but is like oh he's like looking for the witch so he can help her and the way that you see that the witch originally imparts this uh task upon him is pretty creepy uh-huh so that's that was that, for me that was probably the 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 moment that gave me the most of the creepios. Yeah. The the, the way C, he is introduced. Yeah. The way he's introduced has overtones of something entirely yes, mundane. Definitely. Evil. And I was very worried about that. That was a direction that we were going to go with it. And yeah. I'm glad that they didn't. I'm glad that's not, that's not where the book yeah. went. So, I am too, but it, it it's definitely it's one of those moments where that may be the creepiest thing in it, and it's not horrifying in a in a supernatural way at all. Yeah, yeah. So by the end of the issue, Emmy comes to grips with the community, and we mm-hmm. learn a little bit more about the town folk, and some of them may have been created by uh, Hester Prim. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's Hester Prim. Oh, that, okay. That's that's the Scarlet Letter. Oh, okay. Well, the, no, that's the Crucible. <laughs> Uh, they're all the same. They're all the same. Witches. Witches. Drown them, hang them, shoot them. It's Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. Hester Uh, Beck. In any case, in any case, Emily comes to grips with, in a very, really, over the course of one night, comes to grips with who she is. And in the course of four issues, that's the other thing I was really surprised with. And she comes to terms with the town folk by blasting three of them into oblivion. (laughs) And it's like, look, I'm not a bad guy. You guys are just making me to be a bad guy. I don't mean to kill all these people, be able to control all these haints. Uh, Leave me alone. Let's just see if I turn out to be evil or not. And they're like, "Mm, okay. You try to kill me, I'll make damn sure you come with me. I'm like, okay, scary witch woman. 
But that's not the weirdest part, because this ends in a very interesting cliffhanger where in the big city, there's another Emmy. Remember, there were two things that came out of that tree. I know, right? Ah, yeah. One of them. It wasn't that a kind of a dream sequence, though. That's that's why I, I didn't like necessarily expect it to happen. It, it kind of right. seemed like this was something that she was seeing in a dream, maybe. Yeah, but I also saw the dream as as explaining to her, hey, this is where sure. you came from. Right. Or and even, even if even it's paw, not representational, even... I think that expectation that she has a dark mirror. But even Paw came up and said, here's here's where you came from, girl. Right. And uh, we don't know what happened to Ma yet. That ought to be an interesting point in the story. She was eaten by skin. I'm sure she was. And there's a, and then there's like these dark things in the woods that are like in love with uh, with the old witch. Mm-hmm. We used to get it on and then you left me. And some people call it a sling blade. I call it a Harrow County. I like me some French fried potatoes. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a weird book. It is. I did not. I did not think it was going to be this weird this fast. If you've ever lived in a weird little town, it's a weirdly authentic book too. I mean, not that things ripped off their skins and and wandered around and had mystical framistats in some of the creepy hometowns I've lived in. I'm not saying they didn't, because I lived a couple of blocks from the Garden of Eden. But didn't you also <laughs> used to live next door to a cemetery, or am I thinking of someone else? No, I lived across the street from a cemetery. Oh, across the street. Okay. Total, I must be thinking yeah. of somebody else then. Yeah. Haints can't cross the street. <laughs> They're not as long as you have some them. running water. <laughs> Their mummy won't let them. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, yeah, I, that's, that's just a thing. You Rodrigo, know, just... Rodrigo, did you enjoy this? I did. Um, it's. I, Is I it because of the Americana? How, uh, that was a, that's a big part of it. Um, I think that. It's it's pretty common for uh, people to look outside of their own culture to to simultaneously not realize that they're injecting their own culture into things and to look outside of it for stuff. That's why we see you know so much. That's why like everything is like either dragons and European or Japanese or whatever. And it's like so it's interesting to see something that is like so American. Um, but, uh, also because uh, this book starts just, is just like working so hard, just over time, um, just cranking out mythology in like every panel, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you have a pretty complete sense of what a horrifying place Harrow County is pretty much by the end of the first issue, especially with a little backup story. Um, and in fact... Um, maybe possibly to the to the detriment of the story because once we get to the end and it's like oh look at this creepy doppelganger girl i'm like actually i kind of don't care like i want to like i want the next four issues of this to be another story from harrow county Mm. rather than the continuation of this story and for emmy to be like in the background doing her witch thing i I can i can see that and and who knows maybe that's where it will go we don't know maybe i i haven't read the series i haven't read any of the issues so i'm interested to see where this goes and we'll continue to read some of the volumes throughout the uh throughout this year but uh yeah i really kind of enjoyed this too i'm not i don't know if i'm a fan of the art yet the art was uh, something that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, it's fine, um, but it was it's um, 
it's just different. Let me just say that. But I think it 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 complements where it needs to complement the the story, and it does it very mm-hmm. well, especially in the nightmare sequences and when you've got skin just yeah. kind of flapping in the breeze. There's a primitivism to it that I think is really satisfying when tied to the 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 actual you know the rural narrative. There's something about it that feels like the kind of things you would actually find drawn in ancient books or you know, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. An, an evil kind of supernatural Laura Ingalls Wilder story. <laughs> it, 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 seriously, it feels like it guess, has yeah. those overtones, especially everyone who's alive tends to have really ruddy, flushed skin yeah. and cheeks, and that's kind of neat. I just, I don't know. I like all of it except for the points where you have a lot of characters in a room together Mm -hmm. because it feels like they're, you know, we're kind of seeing the same body over and over, but even that is something that feels kind of eerie and and foreboding. So that may be intentional flaming skeletons, creepy as heck. I really like the use of like light and shadow and the blacks throughout this Mm -hmm. entire four issue run. Did you enjoy this series, Matthew, or was this too creepy for you? Oh, I like it. Because yeah. I know you're, you with body horror stuff is kind of kind of freaks you out. Well, yeah, but it freaks me out in a way that I come back for. That's the problem. I mean, I grew up on a steady diet of Twilight Zones. So if body horror was a problem, I would have never gotten through Mr. Dingle the Strong. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like all of this. And I do feel like it feels apparently I, I did a little bit of research just now while we were talking. Cullen Bunn is from North Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're like, hey, this is, you know, southern United States, but it feels a lot like, you know, the creepy little towns of, you know, Kansas or Nebraska or all of these creepy little towns. I love that. You don't always get these rural perspectives and certainly you don't always get them in a way that feels authentic and not, I don't want to say condescending, but I do, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, no, yeah. You know, because you get. Oh no! This your, is a. It's very. It, it's very clear that this is a backwards community, and I shouldn't say backwards. Sure. I mean, this is a depression era community where right. you didn't have access to all of the education that you used to have access to. You didn't have uh, access to uh, the broader world uh, like you do now. And uh, in fact, that's one of the points in the story: is there is an an old man and his daughter that that uh, come by in a wagon every so often with. With uh, things to peddle and, you know, like canned goods and books and stuff. And that we learned that Emmy only had an education for a short while and she was homeschooled uh, because she didn't go to a school. Uh, we find out, you know, that, the, that they rarely even go into into town unless there's an emergency for, for something. And even the town folk are, you know, somewhat uh, yeah. closed minded, mainly because they're, you know, cr- creatures of some kind. Um well. Or, or, you know, tainted by hainted. Yeah. And and but, even the spooky little house with the monster living inside, that that's one of the side stories. Uh, yeah. It's all fascinating. I think, I th- you know, for me, if I were to kind of, if we're wrapping up the show and I were to say, is this a buy, borrow, or skip? Uh, I, I want to say that this is kind of a buy for me at the moment. Now, I might change my mind later on, but right now I think this first issue is a really solid buy. It really has some... A great little story in it. Uh, it's kind of terrifying in parts. It's got a good hook at the end. Uh, so for me, this is a this is a buy. Uh, Matthew, yeah. what about you? Oh, definitely a buy for me. And I think that the fact that we see a range of you know different characters and different people and different expectations, but all of whom are rural without ever being you know 
your classic slack-jawed inbred grid-eating morons. This is not like a Jed Clampett story where it's somebody cosmopolitan putting their their shine on what they believe you know life in these rural areas would be like it feels real and it feels horrifying in a way that a lot of stories can't and you know partly it appeals to me just because a lot of this stuff feels like where i've been but it's also really well written and the art is creepy as f yeah rodrigo what about you uh, this is this is probably a, a buy for me too. I think I'm gonna try and find the trade of this, um, and uh, I'll put it next to my pretty deadly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's Harrow County, Harrow County, Volume One: The Countless Haints from Cullen Bunn and Tyler Cook, uh, published by Dark Horse Comics. If you're looking to pick up this book, I have posted a link to our Amazon page right there in the show notes at Majorspoilers.com. You kick, click on that link. And you buy the uh, the trade paperback. It's not going to cost you anything extra, but a little bit comes back our way. And this year, I will be building up a page of all of the trades that we have read. In fact, I may be posting some of the stuff way early so you can pick up the book and read it before we do so we can have a good discussion about it. Uh, but you can find all of that at Majorspoilers.com. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we love your feedback. We want to hear from you, so use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to the episode, or even better, throw us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything and everything else we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too. We'll talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. Major Spoilers is copyright 2011. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012. Major Spoilers is copyright 2013. Major Spoilers is copyright 2014. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.